0: Let me welcome you to our Bible reading tonight in the Iron Hall. It's great to see you all with us. I think this is one of the biggest turnouts that I've ever seen. Perhaps it's a fallout from me being away and the good speakers that you've been having. Maybe you didn't think it was me tonight, but I'm back. I'm sorry about that, but it's good to see you all with us this evening and do come maybe it's not your practice to come regularly to the bible reading perhaps this is a one-off for you But well, please do take our welcome and come along and hear the word of god and we trust that you will be blessed and built up in your most holy faith through the word of god we turn to ephesians again in chapter 6 ephesians in chapter 6 Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll just read verse 18. I think you're familiar enough with the whole passage. We've spent that long on it, but if you haven't read it before, please do read it. But it is an account of the armour of God that we have learnt, and this is a very important thing to remember, that it is God's armour. It's not something the Christian works into or the Christian makes himself. It is God's armor, and we've seen from the prophet Isaiah that that God literally wore that armor, and we have been given it to fight the good fight of faith ourselves. And this is so important to realize that every single thing in the Christian life is of grace. The sooner we learn that, the richer we will be. Everything is from the hand of God. And here tonight we find something else that is from the hand of God. We've been looking at prayer and in our first study we looked at the first phrase of verse 18. Praying always. We looked at constant prayer. We looked at how constant prayer is a way of life. Praying daily. Praying throughout the day. Then we looked at how constant prayer is a continual communion. It's something that you can do all the time. It doesn't mean you're having your quiet time every moment of the day. But you can have your spirit in contact with God every moment of your life. And We learned that how prayerlessness hinders the church. And then we looked at the second phrase. With all prayer. We spent some time looking at the many facets of prayer. I can't recall them off the top of my head, but you know what they are. Intercession, confession, singing, listening, praising, adoring, and worshiping. All those things, waiting on God, praying scripture that we learned about in our last study. And now we come to the next part of this verse. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. The reason why we're taking so much time over this verse is because it's packed full of wealth that God wants us to know. And it would be wrong of me to skip over it and miss out everything that God would have us know. And what we are looking at this evening is this. Supplication in the Spirit. We're looking at Spirit-led supplication. It is a part of the armour of God that we all need. We sang in our first hymn, I often say my prayers, but do I ever pray? Now that conjures up a wealth of questions in our mind that we need to answer as believers. And it's so true, isn't it? We often say prayers, but do we really Actively pray. We are we engaged in what the Bible reveals. Is true prayer. And that begs the question. What is prayer. And I've been attempting to answer that. In weeks gone by. And I believe that verse 18. Is a very important part of the whole of God's revelation. To define for us. What is true prayer. Now if the truth were told. Our prayers are often simply expressions of what we want. Perhaps if you want to go on to another plane, a better motive of our prayers may be even desires that are good, and maybe we could push them far enough to say they may even be desires that are spiritual. But if we're honest, many Christians are disillusioned with the subject of prayer. I've heard many people say, why are my prayers never answered? I pray for good things. I pray for, for things that I think God would, would have me possess, and, and it seems that they're never answered. I, my prayer life is probably a failure. If anything in my Christian life is a failure, my prayer life is a failure. And that sense of failure and defeat is is further cemented by some of the books that we read and some of the teachers that we hear that, that make prayer look like some kind of a magic spell whereby when you pray to God, you get anything that you want. And to address these very real questions, we must learn what true asking is. And what it is to pray in the spirit. For those two things that we look at tonight are part of the great mechanics of what prayer is. So let's look at our first question on your sheet this evening. Supplication in the spirit. What is supplication? What does this word literally mean? The Greek word is deisis. And it simply means, one of many uh, Greek words defining prayer within the New Testament, but it simply means to pray, requesting, beseeching, begging, supplicating. To pray, requesting, beseeching, begging, supplicating. Primarily, it is a prayer for a wanting need. You need something from God. So you come to God and you, day I cease. You plead God to give you what you need. But we need to define it further than that. And we need to go into the Old Testament. And you will know that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not Greek. But there is a translation of the Old Testament from the Hebrew to the Greek. For Greek speakers. So that they could understand the Old Testament. And we we get a little bit of light about Greek words from that Old Testament Greek translation. The way that that some of the words are used. And in that translation, in the book of Esther, if you were to turn to it in chapter 8 and verse 3, you find that word beseech, the word to supplicate, with regards to Esther beseeching the king. And you read in that verse, And Esther spake yet again before the king, and fell down at his feet, and besought him with tears to put away the mischief of Haman the Agite and his device that he had devised against the Jews. Haman wanted to exterminate another holocaust of the Jews and Esther came in before the king and it says besought him with tears. That is this word to supplicate. If you go to Hosea in chapter 12 and verse 4, you find the word used again in the Old Testament of Jacob the father of Israel. It's used in relation to his wrestling with the angel. And it says this of him. Yea, he had power over the angel and prevailed. Listen, he wept and made supplication unto him. He found him in Bethel and there he spake with us. The nation of Israel is saying the reason that God has come to us, the reason that Jehovah has spoken to us, is because our father Jacob in the desert wrestled with God. He wept and made supplication unto him and he found him in death. That's this word, supplication. Now if you go into the New Testament, you find that in the revised version it's always rendered supplication or supplications. In the authorized version that we have, it's translated supplication and also prayer and prayers. A general translation. And there are two ways in which it is defined in the New Testament. The first way is requesting and beseeching for oneself. For your needs. If you like your petitions, the things that you need in your life. And in Luke 1 and verse 13 we find that in the life of Zacharias. We read this, but the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer, thy supplication is heard, and thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, John the Baptist. A specific petition that Zacharias had, Elizabeth conceived, the angel said, Thy supplication is heard, (coughs) thy wife shall bear a son. Then there is a definition within the New Testament, the second. That is not petition for oneself, but petition on behalf or in the behalf of others. If you turn to Luke chapter 2 and verse 37, this time Anna, we read of her. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, which departed not from the temple But served God with fastings and prayers, supplications, night and day. For others, for the nation of Israel, for Messiah, for salvation to be seen in the nation, she supplicated the throne of grace. And then perhaps one of the greatest and most poignant in the New Testament, and I want you to turn to this one, Romans chapter 10, the Apostle Paul. Romans 10 and verse 1. The heart's cry of Paul for the nation he loved. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer, supplication to God for Israel is that they might be saved. (coughs) On behalf of Israel, he was supplicating God. In fact, in chapter 9, you can see, on behalf of Israel, he was willing, verse 1, to go through hell that they might be saved. Now, what can we say about this word supplication? Well, we can say, as we have seen, That it is begging, beseeching, even at times with tears for oneself and can be on behalf or in behalf of others. But also it is always addressed to God. This word is always addressed to God. It's not in the sense of coming before a king and beseeching. It's the sense of coming before God and crying unto God that your prayers may be answered. I hope that you can see already the importance of such a a phrase as this in the great battle that we are in. The importance of a piece of armor like this, of being able to come into the very presence of God before God's throne of grace and getting what we need because we ask of him. Now, generally, the word is used for any prayer, but you see specifically this word, supplication. In the Greek, whenever the verb isn't used, it it always seems to mean prayer for others. So all that illustration about prayers for yourself, push that away. That's not what this word means now in the verse where Paul is speaking. He is specifically talking about prayer for others. So he's talking of begging God, beseeching God in the Spirit for other people. You find the word used in that sense in 2 Corinthians 9:14, where Paul says, And by their prayer for you, which long after you for the exceeding grace of God in you. That is my prayer for you, longing after you, that God's grace would be seen in your life. 2 Timothy 1 verse 3, he says, I thank God whom I serve from my forefathers with pure conscience, that without ceasing I have remembrance of you in my prayers night and day. That's the sentence. Coming before God incessantly, persistently, continually, supplicating, begging, beseeching God for other people. Paul and the other apostles, if you read the New Testament, highly valued such prayer. And they expected great things of such prayer. James tells us that there is great gain when such beseeching beseeching God takes place. And especially when such beseeching and supplicating is combined and entwined with a life of dynamic faith and holiness. Isn't that what he said in 5 and 16? The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And if this type of prayer, supplication, is combined with a holy, righteous life, God will hear you and mighty things are possible. The proof of that is in verse 17. He uses the illustration of Elijah who was a man subject to like passions as we are and he prayed, supplicated earnestly that it might not rain and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. In the same vein, the Apostle Peter in his first epistle, chapter 3 and verse 12, quoting Psalm thirty-four sixteen, says, The prayer of the righteous is always heard of God. Always. He says, the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous and his ears are open unto their prayer. I think prayer is the most important weapon in the holy warfare that we have been studying. And if we neglect it, We neglect everything. But you know, I believe something more than its importance in the warfare. I believe that it is one of the most important evidences of true Christian faith in the life of a human being. Now, we were studying last evening of the marks of the sheep of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not just believing, but there has to be a changed, repentant life that hears his voice, that follows him, and that knows that it has eternal life. But you know, the word of God also testifies that if you are to be sure that you're saved, there must be a life of prayer within your soul. Paul said that to Timothy, 1 Timothy 2, 1, I exhort therefore that first of all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. But first of all, before you think about anything else, you've got to be doing this. And ultimately the supplicant. What is he? I mean, let's think about this for a moment. The Lord Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, went to heaven, sits at the right hand of God. Why? To intercede. That is why the Word of God says there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Now this supplication is almost identical, but it is we who are the mediators, we who are interceding between man and God. If you think about that, that's an awesome responsibility. To be there for God, for the needs of others. To express a deep desire that God would take action on the behalf and in the lives of other people. And we have been given that responsibility to pray. And if you think about it, all of this subject of prayer, whether it is personal prayer or prayer for others, all the types of prayer, adoration, confession, every single one of them is an act of prayer. The declaration and confession of dependence upon God. Have you notice that? Everything in prayer expresses of myself I can do nothing and I need thee and with God I can do everything. It is again bringing us to that brick wall of realizing that in my flesh there dwelleth no good thing. And that is why we need to come, as Paul said in Philippians 4, and be careful, anxious, worried about nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, make our requests known unto God, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding will rule in our hearts and our lives through the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it wonderful to know that there is no difficulty? There is no problem in your life that is too small, that is too insignificant, that you can bring before God. God will never say, take that away from me. I'm running a universe, you know. I haven't time for little things like that. That is not the God that we have. The God that we have is concerned for the sparrow. The God that we have knows the hairs of our head and they are numbered. I heard someone saying recently that they thought that verse meant you know, that every single hair was numbered. And they thought to themselves, well, what, what, what would God want to number my hairs for? I mean, I don't know how many there, and I don't really care how many there until there's so little that they can't see them anymore. But why, what, what does that verse mean? You know what it means? You can't tell how many hairs are numbered there. And God knows more about you than you know about yourself. God cares so much about you the things that don't even concern you he knows inside out is that not an inspiration to pray I don't know (laughs) I'll tell you what it is practically let me apply this practically to you what can we do when we are supposed to supplicate in this way it means this the definite needs are meant to be requested you're meant to come to God with definite specific needs and when you do that definite specific benefits will be granted Pray specifically, and God will answer specifically. Now, if you're going to pray specifically, you're going to have to get acquainted with facts. It's no use coming before God and say, "Lord, bless the missionaries, bless the pastors, bless every Christian that there is in every country of the world. And bless every church today. We need to pray specifically. We need to get the needs that there are within our fellowship, within our lives, within the lives of others, and we need to spread them before God and supplicate God for concrete situations. And it might be, and I would... Say that you will have to do this. Set aside specific time in your life, in the life of a church, to supplicate God for specific needs. Perhaps today is to stress prayer for your family, tomorrow for the fellowship, tomorrow for the preachers of the gospel, the next day for missionaries, whatever it may be, to supplicate God, to supplicate Him one for the universal needs. To pray as the Lord Jesus instructed us. That he might send laborers into the harvest. We need to pray for that. We need to pray for our national needs. For kings and for all those who are in authority over us. And of course there are our personal needs. And we haven't even time to list all of them. You know them. And I know my own. But... This is something. Look, if our prayers are not being answered and we are not adhering to the mechanics of prayer, the theology of prayer within the New Testament, what do we expect? We need to do what God tells us to do and put these things into action. As one author said, some things God will not give until we want them enough to ask. Do you remember... In the Gospels, that the Lord Jesus came and faced the blind man in Mark 10. Do you remember what he said to him? What wilt thou that I should do unto thee? That's supplication. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is omnipotent, for he is God, says to us today as believers Look, here I am. I am at your disposal. What would you have that I do for you? And we don't come. That's what supplication is. I hope it's been made clear enough for you. But it's not just supplication. I mean, if you supplicate the throne of grace, that is not enough. Because look at what it says, verse 18. Supplication in the Spirit. It's a specific supplication. So what is praying or supplicating in the the Spirit? You will know if you've read and familiar with the New Testament that we are instructed to pray to the Father through Jesus Christ, the Son, in the Holy Spirit. To the Father, our Father. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, the intercessor, the great intercessor of all men. But it's in the Spirit. And we find through Paul's epistles and the whole of the word of God that there is a great stress, an emphasis, a special importance to that fact. That true prayer, like all of true Christian life, is wrought in the spirit of God. But what does that mean? Well, to put it in antithesis, it is the opposite of praying in the flesh. Sometimes it's good to define things by what it is not. It's not praying in the flesh. To pray in the flesh, therefore, has the inference to pray without power. So if to pray in the Spirit is the opposite of praying in the flesh without power, to pray in the Spirit is to pray with power. And we have learnt that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but spiritual. And therefore, in this supplication and in all prayer, we must rely on the Spirit of God. Why? For we know not what we should ask. That's what Paul says in Romans. We we don't know what to ask for, and we don't know how to pray as we ought to pray. Now I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, because this is the defining chapter, if you like, Concerning what praying in the spirit really is. And if you look at verse 26 you'll see that verse that I've just quoted. We know not for what we should pray for as we ought. Now the implication of everything that we're laying down here as a foundation is this. That if we are not praying in the spirit. We might as well not be praying at all. Now, that's so important. People, I hear people say, well, as long as you pray, that's all that matters. That is not all that matters. There are only certain types of prayer that God answers. In fact, if I could put it, define it further, there is only types of intercourse and communication with God that is prayer. Therefore, we see within the Word of God that prayer is not our wish list. When you come into the presence of God with a shopping list of things that you would like or things that you think would be good for you or good for the church of Christ or good for the glory of God, that's not praying. In the Old Testament, in the book of Exodus in chapter 30, there is the picture of God's tabernacle, the place where God dwelt upon the earth and the desert with Israel if you went into the tabernacle you would find there a small golden altar standing before the veil into the holy of holies and there there would be burnt incense rising up to God you know what that is in the book of Hebrews it's a picture of worship and prayer and that incense burning up to God was to show us that God's prayer is God's prayer It's not instrumented by man. It doesn't start in man, but it must be according to God's plan. It can't be counterfeited by man. You remember in the book of Numbers, what happened to men who tried to counterfeit the incense of God? God struck them down. God opened the ground and swallowed them up. It had to be God's way or no way at all. There is the incense as a picture of prayer. But what had happened, the incense? Well, fire had to come into contact with the incense, didn't it? Fire is a picture of the Holy Spirit. For the Holy Spirit of God is the one who takes our prayers and sets them alight. We must not miss that. He is the one who ignites them with the will of Almighty God. And if we don't pray that way, we don't pray at all. What is praying in the spirit? Octavius Winslow, and I would encourage you to read his writing, said this. Prayer is the breathing of God's own spirit in the heart. Isn't that beautiful? The breathing of God's own spirit in the heart. The Greek word for, prayer, for for the Holy Spirit Spirit, is pneuma. It is the same word for breath and the same word for wind. And it is God's breath, God's pneuma, his spirit in the heart of a man for a man to come before God and pray. So what must we do to pray in the spirit? Now these points are not down in your seat, but I want you to turn write them down as we go through them. There are three ways in which we pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. You must first of all be born of the Spirit. Look at Romans 8. Romans 8 and verse 15. Paul says for ye have received the spirit of bondage. Ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. But ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry Abba Father. Now if you keep your finger in Romans and turn to Galatians 4. Galatians 4. (coughs) In verse 6 you find a similar verse talking about adoption. And Paul again says to the Galatians. And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now in both verses, Paul uses the Greek word kradzo, which means to cry, to express the relationship that we have as children and sons to our Father God. And that cry, Abba Father, what is it expressing? It's expressing great freedom, great joy, great confidence. As we come to God, that we're not coming to some almighty despot or angry, wrathful God that is going to strike us down. But we're coming to a gracious, loving, heavenly Father. Now why is that? Why does Paul use Kradzo, a cry, as we come to our Father? Why is there that freedom, joy, and confidence? What does it spring from? You know what it springs from? Our awareness that we are the sons of God. A realization that I am God's son. I belong to God. And If I can put it in other words, such prayer doesn't originate in any power or any thought that's possessed in man. And therefore prayer, the dear Roman Catholics, they they think it's meritorious that the more they pray, the quicker they'll get into heaven. It's, It's nothing to do with that. For prayer doesn't even come from you in a sense. Prayer is from the grace of God because it's only through the grace of God that we become sons and it's only as sons that we can cry so to God have a father. To Paul, prayer is ultimately the indwelling, the energizing spirit of God. It is the Holy Spirit within us speaking to God by himself. Now it's important that you understand this. That God the Spirit in us is speaking to God himself who is the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 and verse 17. Turn with me to that quickly. For it's important that we understand these truths. Second Corinthians 3, 17. Now, the Lord is that spirit. Now mark that. The Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Now if you want liberty in prayer, and what, what greater liberty in prayer is there than to be able to cry, a Father? Now how do you get that? The spirit of God. John 4 and verse 23, it says this. The Lord Jesus said, the hour cometh. And now he is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You see, John understood it, Paul understood it, James understood it. Timothy understood it through the mouth of Paul that praying is nothing to do with you specifically in a sense. And if it wasn't for the grace of God and it wasn't for the Spirit of God implanted into your soul at conversion, you wouldn't be able to pray. And the Lord Jesus acknowledged to that woman in John 4 at the well that this is a new thing. This is something that the Old Testament saints did not experience. This is a new creation in Christ Jesus originating only in Christ and only from Christianity. Now look at Romans 8. And this proves it. Romans 8 and verse 14 that if you want to pray in the Spirit you've got to be born of the Spirit. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God they are the sons of God. Abba Father Father The Spirit of God leads them to say that. For no man confesses Jesus as Lord except by the Spirit of God. Thus prayer isn't dependent on your eloquence, on how many verses you can memorize, on how loud you can pray, or how softly you can pray. But prayer is dependent upon the efficacy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Upon the assurance that he has died, he has risen, he has ascended, he is there in glory for us, interceding. And because he has sent his Spirit into our hearts, we have the Spirit that cries, Abba, Father. And I believe that the assurance of our salvation is evidenced and indeed increased by the Spirit producing prayer within us. And if you're saved, that means that your prayer life ought to be getting better. And in Romans 8 verse 16 we see that. The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Secondly, to pray in the Spirit you must be born of the Spirit. But also you must be living in the Spirit. I could put it like this. Being in communion with the Spirit. Living in the power of the Spirit. One man defined it like this. Let the Spirit be the atmosphere in which you pray. If you like, this is the where of prayer. The place of prayer. What I mean by that is that you don't pray in a certain temple. You don't need to pray anymore in Jerusalem at the temple or in a tabernacle. You don't need to pray on this mountain or the other mountain. You don't need to pray in church or in a chapel the where of prayer the place of prayer the atmosphere of prayer is living in the Holy Spirit of God that's what the Lord Jesus said in John 4 to that same woman 20, 21 and 23 she said to him Lord our fathers worshipped in this mountain And ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Now he didn't say that. And Jesus saith unto her, woman, believe me. The hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. But the hour cometh and now is when true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit. That is with the Spirit's help your spirit with the spirit's help in harmony with the spirit's will as revealed in the spirit's word in the scriptures now let's apply this it's important that we lay this down in our lives what does it mean what, what are the implications of a verse like this? That? that we must be praying in the spirit and in order to pray in the spirit we need to live in the spirit you know what it means a fleshly believer can't pray Now don't try and twist out of that. That's what the teaching of the word of God. It means this. If you have a grudge against somebody, your prayers will only hit the ceiling. They mightn't even hit the ceiling. If you don't love your brother and sister in Christ, if there's a problem between you and your wife or husband, your prayers are hindered. The word of God says that. means if you have a grudge and can't forgive another person that you are not and in fact cannot pray in the spirit it means if you have a selfish motive as you come to God whether it's for your own glory this is the thing I grapple with am I wanting souls saved so that everybody thinks David Lake's great for God will not answer that prayer what is my motive What what, what is the reason? Is it for my glory? Is it for my luxury? So that my life will be better? The message is this. You cannot pray in the Spirit if you are not walking in the Spirit. And yes, prayer changes things. But the message of this verse is that more than that, prayer changes the man who prays. Because it's the Spirit who works within him prayer therefore is more than a means for me to see God doing miracles on my behalf because I pray but more than that it's seeing God doing a miracle in me wrought by the spirit now let me tease that out a little bit as we look at the third thing it is to pray in the spirit thirdly to pray in the spirit One, you must be born of the Spirit. Two, you must be living in the Spirit. Three, you must be in agreement with the Spirit. Could two walk together except they be agreed? Now, some commentators say that means praying from the heart. It doesn't. And neither does it mean praying inwardly without using words. It means this, praying under the influence of the Holy Spirit. Praying in agreement with him. You remember in chapter 5 of Ephesians. You don't need to turn to it. Verse 18. Be not drunk with wine in his excess. But be filled. In other words translated. Be continually under the control. You're under the control of wine. When you're intoxicated aren't you? That's the comparison. As you're under control of wine. Be under the continual control of the Holy Spirit. That's what we're talking about here. To pray in the Holy Spirit is to be continually under his control in your prayers with his assistance. And in fact it is his office revealed in the word of God. It's his role to to reveal truth to us. To to teach us and to show us how to pray day by day. Now here's the key. Romans 8. Turn to Romans 8. Now that clock says 10 to 9 and my watch says 5 to 9 so I'm going to believe the clock you don't mind Romans chapter 8 it'll probably be fixed the next service and verse 26 now look at this in the same way the spirit also helps our weakness for we do not know how to pray as we should but the spirit himself intercedes for us ...with groanings too deep for words. Isn't that beautiful? By the way, never call the Spirit it. Himself, he is the person of the Trinity. Now that's important, for that verse tells you and I... ...that it is the Spirit who prays. He is the one who prays. We do not pray alone. We pray connected with the Spirit of God... The Spirit prays for us, but more than that, the Spirit prays as He is joined to us. The Spirit is in us, and He therefore is praying in us for us. Literally, He is infusing His prayers into our prayers so that we pray in the Spirit. Now, folks, for that to happen, there are two supernatural things that take place to make us pray in the spirit one first of all he tells us how to pray he tells us what to pray for if he didn't assist assist us in prayer you know what we'd be doing and perhaps what we are doing is our prayers would be left to our own whims our own desires our human reason and our intuition but when he is praying in us and for us, he moves us to a higher level. He leads us. And how does he lead us? Through the sword of the Spirit. Through the word of God. He inspired it, didn't he? I mean, how, how do we miss this sometimes? How do the charismatics miss it? And they have to have a revelation or a prophecy or somebody speaking in tongues. He has inspired his will. That we might pray by His will, and as well as find in His Word. And when we look into His Word, we find there how to pray. The Spirit leads us into all truth. We find the mind of God, and praying in the Spirit is according to the will of God. Look at verse twenty-eight of Romans 8. 27 of Romans eight. Now look, He that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession for the saints look according to the will of God now I think this is perhaps one of the greatest fruits that that is in the life of a believer by grace you know what it is a sinful depraved self sinful willed man on his knees saying thy will be done If that's not a miracle, I don't know what it is. And that's praying in the spirit. But the second thing that has to happen is this. It provides an energy. It provides a power for prayer. The spirit provides a, a real sense of energy for tired bones and muscles, for a weak heart, for a depressed mind, because the spirit elevates a person up to pray. Verse 26. Look at it again. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray. You know those times when you can't pray? In fact, you know those times when you've run out of words because your heart's so broken, and you're maybe lying on the ground crying your heart out to God? Well, when that happens... The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Things too deep to be expressed in mortal language, the desires, the groans, the yearnings of our hearts, even those unintelligible longings that that may not be defined can be understood by the Spirit because he has perhaps inspired them. And he is winging those home to God as prayers, as motions of the Spirit. In Genesis 21 and verse 17 You remember Ishmael was left by his mother Sitting in the wilderness and This isn't a direct equivalence But I think it illustrates it The word of God says that the Lord Heard the voice of the Lot. Notice it says, it doesn't say He heard what he was saying Or he heard what he asked for No, he probably didn't ask He probably was only crying But the Lord heard the voice. In Psalm 28 and verse 2 it says this. The psalmist cries hear the voice of my supplications. The voice of my supplications. Not just what I am saying in my supplication. But the spirit is able to convey to the father. The very holy desire that perhaps we can't even put into words. Why? Because the spirit of God. Is interacting with our spirit in prayer. And as Guy King put it well, praying in him, praying in the spirit, means having him praying in us. Do you get it? It's being born of the spirit, living in the spirit. And being agreement with the Spirit. And that will lead you know what? To unselfish prayer. Praying according to the will of God. Not your will, but God's will. There's a lot of selfish prayer, and it's very fervent and very spirited. But perhaps it's never answered. Maybe it's not answered in your life. Is this answering the questions that we began with? Is it? Why our prayers perhaps are not answered? As James said. Ye have not, and because ye ask not, and when ye do ask, ye receive not. Why? Because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Do you want to get your prayers answered? Pray in the will of God. Pray according to the Spirit of God. Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. You are born of the Spirit. And if you want, You can pray in this prayer. Bunyan said this. And anybody wants to take this quotation, I think this is a marvelous quotation of what true prayer is. Listen, prayer is a sincere, sensible, affectionate pouring out of the heart or soul to God. Through Christ, note that, one, through Christ. Two, in the strength and assurance, assistance of the Holy Spirit. Three, for such things as God has promised and according to the word of God. Four, for the good of the church. Five, with submission and faith to the will of God. The psalmist said in Psalm 37 and verse 4, delight thyself in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart you know what that means if you lose yourself in God his desires will become your desires and when you pray for his desires you'll get them Jude said, and I say to you in closing, build up yourselves in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Let us pray, and let me ask you are you sure that you are born of the Spirit? Are you sure? Please be sure. Are you living by the Spirit, Christian? Forget about prayer if you're not. And are we in agreement, praying according to the Word of God? Father, help us, oh, help us to supplicate your throne in the Holy Ghost. Thus to see thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen.